0: Thanks for listening to Hey Kerwin. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag HeyKerwin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.
1: What are your practices to keep in tune with your innate intuition?
0: Uh, Meditation. For me, I have to meditate every day. Uh, I think biologically, uh, it's it's not... Look, I can go for extended periods of time without meditating. I think last week I went four days, which was probably the first time in a couple of months where I haven't meditated. Um, But normally I will meditate. I wake up in the morning um i set myself a goal i always set myself very realistic goals Uh, for me meditation uh, look i'd put it into twofold i'd say meditation and mindfulness because you can meditate but not be mindful and so for me they they are not the same thing i'll explain the difference based on my perspective and, and from where i'm coming from for me meditation is actually taking the time to engage in a ritual whereby you're actually emptying your mind through either singular focus or body focus you're either focusing on sensation within the body, you're either focusing on breath within the body, or you're focusing on a mantra, okay, within the body. Uh, and it's a singular focus, okay, and it allows you to uh, the, the empty the mind. Now, like everyone else, I'm, I get fucking distracted. But one of the things that I've learned with the practice of meditation, and the importance of the ritual of it, is understanding that that's, no, that's normal. It's not unusual, like that's the whole point of meditation is to actually see, is to become conscious of when you get distracted, and then bring yourself back to the observation again. And whether you're observing body, whether you're observing breath, whether you're observing mantra, it's understanding that the whole point of meditation is to become distracted, become conscious of it, and then bring yourself back to observation again. Okay, then, cause here's the thing, I will be sitting there meditating, 10 minutes later, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about fucking Krispy Kremes. Like, or no, actually <laughs> the Gold Class Sunday. Like right now oh I'm obsessing God. on Gold Class Sundays. I literally went to Gold Class the other day just I just literally bought a ticket. I spent $42 to eat a $24 Sunday in the dark so no one could see me, basically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I didn't just eat a $24 Sunday. I had three sliders, a hot dog, uh, three chicken skewers, a large frozen Coke, and two Sundays. But anyway, let's not break. Wow,
1: that's very different to how well, you told me earlier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I told well, just you. just ate a Sunday in the dark. But, uh, so for me, meditation is incredibly important. Uh, I I don't beat myself up around meditation, I actually, I've learnt to love meditation for what it gives me because it really is one of the absolute most incredible hacks, it's a psychological hack, it's a biological hack, it's a physiological hack, but it's also an intuitive hack because the more we meditate, the more conscious we become and the more in tune we become, you know, the greater greater access we have to the the more coherency between the heart and the brain that we achieve as a result of that alignment and that meditation and that deep presence, the more access to information we have. And the best part is, is not only do we get more access, because it's one thing to be able to tune into the radio, but if you can't hear the message that's coming through, then what's the point of having a great, you know, a, a great sound system? So for me, meditation is knowing how, knowing how to tune in to the right station, but then clearing the mind is about having quality speakers because if you don't have quality speakers, you're not going to hear the messages coming through. And so for me, you know, the meditation will help with that coherence, but the real key is learning empty-mindedness and learning how to em- have an empty mind and be comfortable with that because that's where, to me, intuition lives in an empty mind. And the, the more you empty your mind is, the more able you are to sense what's going on because you're not distracted by, you know, the, the, the stream of thoughts or the monkey mind. Now, mindfulness, on the other hand, is when you're just conscious of the things that you're doing every moment. Like right now, I'm very conscious of where my hand placement now. I'm very conscious of where I feel. I can feel the soles of my feet. I can feel the tingling. Like one of the things that I do for me as a mindfulness practice, uh, my hands are constantly buzzing like they have been buzzing since about the age of three which means i literally at any time that i want to tune into my body the first thing i do is i just go straight to my hands like right now my hands literally feel like have you ever put your hands in a really cold like a bucket of ice and then you pulled it out and they've started tingling that's what my hands feel like all the time and so for me when i meditate my hands tingle even more and more and more and it's quite interesting when i go away from my meditation my hands stop tingling as much and so for me you know, one of my mindfulness practices throughout the day to stay conscious and to stay aware is to tune into my body. You know, the, 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 the easy go-to for me is my hands. Like I tune into my hands and immediately I feel present. Okay? The second go-to for me is my breath. And that to me, my breath is my baseline. And so I know immediately, and you guys would have seen this whenever I'm on stage, if I run up here or if I'm, you know, I'm getting into something, all of a sudden I'll start to lose my breath and I'll stop and I'll take a couple of deep breaths just to get myself center before I carry on again. Because for me, like, like the, the, the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system is, is the indicator of where your baseline is at, okay? It's the indicator of you know, where your, your HRV or your heart rate variability is at. So for me, I'm very conscious of my hands, but I'm also very conscious of my breath as well. So that's what I practice during the day, which is, you know, some people would say mindfulness is meditation. I don't believe mindfulness is meditation at all. I think they're very distinct. Okay, You can be, because people say, well, it's, you know, when I wash the dishes, it's like meditating. No, it's actually not. It's just like being conscious that you're washing a your dish. I hear
1: people say that about like, playing instruments as well. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I'm almost like, not there. For it's me, a that's form the of mindfulness.
0: mindfulness. Like, and again, I don't want to argue w- the difference between the two because we could sit here all day and debate it. And, and I'm not going to say anyone's right or anyone's wrong. But for me, mindfulness is being mindful Okay, in the moments of what you're doing, being mindful of the energy that your body is being producing. Meditation is a practice. Meditation is a ritual. Meditation is a discipline. Okay? What you've got to understand, meditation is like a, it's like a form of study that some people do their entire lives and they still don't understand it. Like Imagine going to university for 36 years and at the end of it, you still, ha- you, you still have to study every day because you know nothing. That's meditation. Meditation is about realizing that no matter how long you do it for, you're still gonna be at the very beginning. Does this make sense? You might just get a a, a much greater attention span with the meditations that you have, but you are still, and that's the beginner mind. The beginner mind is knowing that no matter how far you go, you're always gonna be at the beginning. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons that most people don't meditate. Is because they find it hard, they find it difficult, but they think they should master it. And if they can't master it very quickly, then they give up. And I think that's life. I think a lot of people don't try a lot of stuff because they just find it difficult. And for me, (coughs) you know, it's interesting. This reminds me of a conversation I had with my first mentor, uh, Peter Sun. Um, And he was the first person to help me uh, reassociate what pain meant. Because I remember, you know, after my first business went bad, I had this association that going into business was painful. And he sat down with me after I paid him his $80,000, and um, he said to me, Kerwin, the challenge that you've got right now is what you think is painful is where you need to go. So you need to stop looking at the things that you want to do as being painful and start looking at what the benefit is in them. And so I literally started to reassociate what pain meant. And rather than seeing pain as being a bad thing, I started seeing pain as actually a good thing. Rather than seeing discomfort as something I wanted to move away from, I started seeing something as discomfort that I had to move towards. Rather than seeing fear as something that was triggering me to, again, run away, I started to train myself, literally train my brain that anytime I felt fear, to go and do it. Anytime I felt discomfort, to go and do it. You know, anytime I felt pain to go and do it. And so for me, again, I literally reprogrammed my relationship with fear. I reprogrammed my relationship with pain. I reprogrammed my relationship with discomfort. But it didn't happen by accident. You know, I didn't just, you know, read a book and then all of a sudden, you know, fear was gone. And, you know, I chased and and I went into discomfort. I had to consciously go there repeatedly. And while I was there, I had to consciously create new associations. You know, because for most of us, we've gone to pain. We've gone to discomfort and we've consciously, or in most places, unconsciously created associations. So you've been put in an uncomfortable situation, okay, and then you've consciously or unconsciously created associations rather than that situation which has determined your relationship with pain. You know, it's determined your relationship with discomfort. It's determined your relationship with fear. And that's why a lot of people will move away from the things they're afraid of. Now, I've literally trained myself to do the things I'm afraid of. So whenever I feel fear, which has got me into a lot of fucking trouble, like, because <laughs> like, like, you've got to, just, sometimes fear is practical. And so for me, being an extreme personality, I went from, you know, fear being very impractical to fear being, sorry, very, fear being very, you know, practical practical to the point it was impractical because it was preventing me from doing things, then conquering fear, but then stretching myself self so far that, the, that, my, that my lack of fear was becoming a danger. Uh, you know, I share my skydiving story, like the, one of the reasons that I, beca- you know, I almost killed myself on a couple of occasions when I was skydiving is because I was constantly pushing the boundaries of what would make me afraid. And I was constantly telling myself the thing that I was afraid of is the thing that excited me and I was literally addicted to the, the, to the bleeding edge of fear. You know, to me, it was not just about adrenaline, it was about, like, how far can I go and maintain incredibly high levels of composure in such highly stressed, highly, you know, fear-driven scenarios and still be cool with it. And that nearly killed me twice, just in skydiving. And so, you know, there has got to be a balance, but that balance is acquired through the pursuit of conscious observation of self and the conscious understanding of the relationship that we have with experience. So, um, yeah, good question.
1: Yeah, I was like, whoa, we're going on a journey of fear. Where's intuition? So it built intuition.
0: Oh, so it was intuition. It was different. all about intuition. Oh, about, okay,
1: That's what bring, to bring it back. So, <coughs> was all those things that you were feeling and experiencing? Is that what that that search for fear? Is that did that build intuition? All of a sudden, that obsessive well, nature.
0: I, well, because this started with meditation, didn't it?
1: That oh, it's like well, how do you? What was the actual question? Do, the question was like, how do you how do you cultivate your um Mind initi- t- no like um intuition? Cultivate how intuition, do you how do yeah. you build your intuition?
0: Well, I. I I did go on a very long fuck. Well, I did go on somewhere, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, yeah. To to bring it back, I cultivated intuition at a t- at a ver- at a level that is very high, through the practical, ex- through practically learning how to deal with. Because w- uh, let me put it to you this way, and let me explain why I went where I went. Because you got to st- you got to understand what are the things that compromise intuition. Fear. What else? Stress, what else? Emotion, what else? <laughs> girls. What, girls. <laughs> no, the, the, the list can go. So, so for me, the, the, the cultivation of intuition was, was, was not just through the use of meditation. It was like, how do I maintain very high levels of intuition in all scenarios? Cause I, I, and it's really understanding what intuition is and what the purpose of intuition serves. Like Intuition was... <coughs> Was this gift that um, Mother Nature gave us as a way to prevent us from doing harm? That we could, pr- to prevent us from getting into situations that we that we that we weren't consciously aware of. So intuition is this incredible gift, but the challenge is for most of it is knowing how to access it in all situations. Because for most anyone, you've had who's had experiences where you've had intuitive insights. Okay. And who's walked around sometimes for weeks wondering where the fuck is my intuition gone? Right. So for me, it's like how do we maintain a high baseline of intuition is by managing emotion, it's by managing fear, by managing pain, by managing, you know, the biology, the stress, so that we can maintain a high level of, you know, I guess, homeostasis within the the the, 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 the um coherency so that we're constantly in tune, and when you when you then overlay that, you know, with practices of mindfulness, and you overlay that with practices of meditation, like you're unlocking some serious shit. Does this make sense? Like this is, you know, again, this isn't like beginner level stuff. What I'm giving you is, I can't think of a more advanced strategy to to to, to delve into intuition than what I'm telling you right now. But I'm talking about an intuition in all scenarios at a very high level, not just how do I meditate and get good insights. It's like, how do I walk through life in meditation? You know, that to me is like the ultimate. Yeah, nice, remove the variables. Which which is kind of interesting because I used to skydive with a fucking heart (laughs) rate monitor on. So I could, I used to meditate in free fall because my goal was to get under 80 beats per minute in free fall, which I did twice. So actually learning how to you know, meditate in free fall is, is, is quite an experience. You,
1: you're obsessive. So Scott asks, um, we've made the decision to exit our
0: business. So what are the
1: top three tips to getting the highest sale price?
0: And number one, don't fuck it up. Uh, top three tips for... Getting top sale price. Top sale price. Uh, number one, de-risk the business you've got to make, the, the business is most valuable when, it, when it's not key person dependent. Uh, so when you have a, anyone, in, when, in, in any business where there is uh, key people that are d- dependent on the success of that business, two things are going to happen. It's going to devalue the business because it's going to require key personnel in order to operate it. That's why McDonald's franchises, when they were in their peak were so valuable because you, know, you had this multi-million dollar franchise that could get run by a 15 year old. Um, and it's also going to potentially tie you to the exit of the business. So you, when you sell the business, not only will the business be worth less, but in most cases there'll be a buyout period, whereby you'll still have to be in the business for a certain period of time, and in most cases, you know, the payments are structured to ensure that profit and revenues are maintained at a certain level in order for you to get your full sale price. Um, You know, that might be helpful if you've got a business that can only be sold through vendor finance uh, because of the style and the nature of the business, but number one is is key person risk. Number two, put a really good team in place. And again, I know that might sound like it contradicts number one, but it actually doesn't because what you're actually selling, you're not just selling the business, you're selling the unit. And by the unit, I mean you're selling all the operators within that. So the stronger the team you have in place, you've got to think of it like an investor because what a, you know, what a, uh, when you're buying a business, it's much like going in and, as an investor, but you're taking, instead of buying a portion of the property, instead of buying one apartment, you're buying the whole apartment block. And what an investor looks for, like if you're looking, if you're looking to get top dollar from an investor, an investor, what I'm looking for when I'm investing in a business is I'm, I'm less concerned about the market, I'm less concerned about the product, but the number one thing that I'm most interested in is guess what? It's the people. Who is the team and what is the culture? And to me, that's where the real value sits because, you know, in situations where you've got a transaction going on, okay, you want to know that you've got a strong team in place that isn't key person dependent, okay, that can actually manage the exit of the owner. Because in most cases, it's just going to go into step number three, make sure that the business is under management. Because if the business is under management, then you've got a good team. But once the business is under management, you've actually got a going concern. You know, and when you've got a going concern, that's when your business is going to be worth considerably more because you're not actually selling something that requires someone to come in there and operate it. You're actually selling something that an investor can buy and just park their money in and it's going to run for them. And now in order to do that effectively, you've got to make sure that you've got good contracts in place with your team and make sure that you've got a, you know, a good team in place and good relationships.
1: Great question. <coughs> I'm excited for this next question. So it's from Kylie. Um, It says, what is your vision for the evolution of masculine and feminine consciousness over the next 50 years? And how do you see this impacting our culture and the world at large? fuck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with an easy one, shall we? Yeah. Uh, 60 seconds. What is my... my, I see. I I said 60 (laughs) 60 seconds. (laughs) Jesus. Um, Look, I think my... my, Okay. All right. That's a good (laughs) question. My vision for the evolution of masculine and feminine energy is um, with that, we, that we finally enter an era where it's not about equality uh, and it's about acceptance and understanding that everyone is different and regardless if someone's got a feminine energy and they're a man or they've got a feminine energy and they're a woman or if they've got a masculine energy and they're a man, the masculine energy and a woman, that people can be accepted for the energy that they bring to the table. Um, you know, I think everyone has the right to be who they are at their own core Uh, But I also think everyone has the right to be who they are and not be judged for that and be accepted for that. So for me, you know, I'm less about masculine feminine roles and you know who should do what roles and you know Alan Pease has some very interesting information about you know the what the different ways that the brain works And I'm less interested in how the brain works although it is really helpful information to understand the differences between how the the feminine brain works and the masculine brain works but for me as I said I I, it's less about and when I say it's less about equality it's not that I think there should be disparity but it's it's more about acceptance you know and, and understanding that we are all fundamentally you know five bucks in a bottle you know, if you break us down into minerals, you know, and you're going to sell us, we're five bucks in a bottle. We're all exactly the same. So to me, it's, it's never been an argument about equality. It's more been an, an argument around, well, let's just accept, you know, us for who we are. Let's accept that there are some incredibly talented women. Okay, let's accept that there are some incredibly talented men. And let's accept that incredibly talented women should get paid as much as incredibly talented men. Okay, let's not try and create a disparity. Let's just understand that that's how it should, that's, that just should be accepted. You know, and it shouldn't be judged, and and, and there should be no compromise there. Uh, but the short version is, yeah, I think you know what the world doesn't need is more discrimination. It just means more, di- more, you know, higher level of acceptance and non-judgment.
1: Love everybody.
0: Good answer. Thanks, Mum.
1: Greg um, Holmson. Sorry if I got that wrong, Greg. Party hands, uh, Greg. Um, hey, Kerwin. Hey, Greg. Through K-day, Hey Coen. Hey, and the social experiment, we've seen you develop an incredible team of high performance. Uh, performers. How, who is
0: your leader, though? My team. The whole one. The whole team. Like when you say who is my leader, like I'd, I'd even say like what, would it, would, like who leads me? Is, is that what you mean? Yeah, who inspires you? Or oh, who inspires me? Who's, your, who, who's, who's, my who's, my who's my guru? Who's my role model? You're the leader for yep. To them yep. To I think I think that's changed a lot in the last uh, in the last couple decades Uh, you know when I think about in in days gone by you know when I had um, um, smaller teams and I was running different types of operations and different types of businesses you know I was often having very external inspiration you know so you know the usuals Richard Branson Steve Jobs Elon Musk um, you know I still find all of those characters incredibly inspiring. Um, but the, what really inspires me mo- most now, and I'm not kidding when I say this, is the actual development of my team. Um, so, like, uh, there's nothing... Like, and I think it's, it's kind of rooted in why I do what I do. To me, there's nothing more inspiring than seeing people scratch and open and see their potential. You know, you're a great example of that, you know, seeing you step into your potential. And so, for me, um, I, I, yeah, I, just, I derive my inspiration from so many places, but I really derive an enormous amount of inspiration from my team. Gary Vaynerchuk has had a huge impact on me uh, as a leader in the social media space, but also as a leader in the, empathet- in, in the, in the empathetic space. You know, Gary has an enormous level of empathy, uh, and he shares that very openly. He's also got an incredibly strong balance between ego and humility, uh, which I really uh, admire, respect, and also relate to. Um, but yeah, I, I'm led by my team, you know, I lead my team and they lead me. Um, and there's no one in my team that I can't think of any one person in my team that hasn't inspired me in some way, shape or form, uh, every day, except for Timmy. (laughs) Hey everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers.